Good day, and welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. It is wonderful to be back with you um, for this week's episode. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to record, um, just due to some travel and some time away, and so it's, it's wonderful to be back in our studio slash your study, Phil. Good morning, and, Tim. Um, and be able to record this episode with you. So how are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. I love these. The long South Jersey spring is is awesome. Mm. Yeah, we are. I was getting a little concerned a few weeks ago. We kind of jumped the shark and we're in the 80s for a few days. It might have been while you were away. Mm-hmm. And uh, But spring has now come back and it's uh, it's been wonderful. It's nice to be out of winter, to be honest. I'll take oh, anything, anything other than winter. Definitely. Point, I, I so. realized that even we didn't have a, a serious and severe winter here, that it had taken its toll and it's time to be done. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see the green and the flowers blooming and blue skies and <clears throat> some warmth from the sun. So, um, yeah, beautiful day today, and we have a lot that can be discussed. We've got our plate full. Yeah, our cup runneth over with things to talk about um, from your sermon this this past Sunday at Mercy Hill, which we're still walking through First Peter um, as a church, and we have now gotten to First Peter three. And I think you've you've kind of mentioned this in weeks past that there are a couple of challenging parts of First Peter that we just kind of have to get the momentum to to yep. not get through, certainly not avoid or, or gloss over, but they're just hard. They're just hard to talk about, hard to think through, and are rather challenging, this being probably the hardest. Um, well, it, uh, as, as Peter himself said to our Lord, when Moses, Elijah, and Jesus appeared on the mountain, he said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> Let us build three tents. That's right. So the three the three faces on Peter's Mount Rushmore of very difficult texts, I would say would be, at least in our current cultural moment, is mm-hmm. the passage on slaves, mm-hmm. this passage on wives, and then the uh, later on in the chapter the descent into hell or to the spirits preaching to the spirits in prison, right, and uh, baptism saves you. So that's a two for one, right. But those are the three hardest texts, I think, in Peter from a pastoral standpoint. Right. So that's interesting. Maybe we can jump off here, um, if you don't mind me cutting in. Do you think that that would have been true throughout the history of the church in terms of the context that preachers have preached this text in? We'll just focus on, on on the wives and husbands aspect of First Peter 3. Is that a challenge more so now than maybe 50 Defin- years ago, 100 definitely. years ago, 700 years ago? Definitely. So the cu- cultural moment in which we live is one in which uh, a new... Can we hear a... <laughs> is that my dog drinking yeah. water? Yes. Yes, it is. He's entitled to have some yes. water. Shall we slurp coffee in solidarity <laughs> with him? I hey, apologize Rocky. to everybody. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to feel alone, Rob. 
um, that proves that this is not content generated by chat GPT. There you go. <laughs> we just validated our <laughs> humanity with that ridiculous insertion. Um, the, the, new, the new patriarchy, if I could put it that way, the new authority is one in which the fatherhood of God is, is actively being repudiated mm -hmm. uh, from multiple, multiple contexts. And since the human household is a microcosm of the triune household, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, literally a microcosm of how God has structured the world. And I, I briefly alluded to that in my opening remarks. Um, it, it, it's, um, it's, we're just in an entirely different mode of apologetics and it's interesting too because when Peter was writing this the idea that that the triune God created existed as a kind of household hmm. and created households in a way after his image or, or semi-imaging himself into humans was an unknown concept and so it, it was introduced as a, as a kind of a radical new idea. And Peter's shoring up this idea with, with apologetic weight. And uh, my point about the flexibility in an application of the principle of submission is intended to allude to the missionary calling a Christian wife has in a mixed marriage, that is to say, not mixed racially or ethnically but mixed religiously but also and I'll, this will be more clear next week the Christian household itself has a missionary mandate in the world you know we are to shine the light of Christ as a micro community husband wife children on the block in the street in the neighborhood in the borough mm. um, so but what's w with you know 1500 years of Christendom or 1800 years of Christendom behind us and not merely being a post-Christian society but in many ways an anti-Christian society. Um, Christianity is seen to be the, the dominant religion and the upstart is the secular atheistic. So they're specifically gene targeting the cancer of Christianity. Hmm. And so we have to defend things like fatherhood and authority and household and marriage and parenting uh, as kind of the Super Bowl chant. You know, mm. everybody's gunning for us. Mm. I feel like it, um, not only, I mean, you're talking about this kind of outside, outside the church pressure, right, or mm -hmm. attack, but how much do you think, and, and I don't, not saying specifically for our church, but just, you know, Big C Church, um, there is a struggle in the church to preach on First Peter 3, meaning it's hard enough to stand up and say, this is what God says is true. This is how he's created uh, the world to work, our homes to work, our marriages to work. This is how we glorify him. This is how we live our best life, mm -hmm. is to follow his mm -hmm. word. 
and the world world scoffs at that and we kind of expect that and it's harder and harder because you know they're yelling louder and louder and, mm-hmm. but how much has that infiltrated into just the water that we're swimming mm-hmm. in even within the church where it's hard to stand up and say to women you need to be flexible right there is there is an order a created order within your household you know like those things are are i feel like challenging just because we're human beings right right so um going back to my original question do you think that has gotten harder too a struggle for the church i i think it has i have preached three times in mercy hills 15 year preaching history i guess it would be a 13 years i've been preaching sunday by sunday in this church so i preached ephesians 5 which is paul's household code Mm -hmm. he also repeats it in colossians chapter 3 which i have not preached it's slightly different but largely the same as what you see in ephesians and the first time i preached uh on submission be interesting go back and look at or listen to those sermons i basically preached husband stop making it hard for your wives and I was completely afraid to tell the wives to submit the second time I said preacher you got to do better than that like you know the women deserve to hear the direct instruction from the Holy Spirit which is given to them in the Bible Mm -hmm. and you can't pull punches just because you're afraid of the blowback and so I went into the pulp this is some homiletics here because it's Mm -hmm pastoral psychology and pulling punches is something that pastors do every single week and it's sin so you know that's kind of a mic drop point um so the next time i went i did a little bit better job but i still felt like i was um uh, the, the plane didn't get off the ground uh I, I used to golf with a fella who would hit the most beautiful drive that you had ever seen. Like he could have been pro. He was, a, he was a pastor too, but he was just preternaturally gifted in the golf swing. And uh, my friend Dennis and I uh, watched him and we came up with this joke and it's like, Dennis and I hit a drive that was like, hmm. And then when we really hit, just knocked the cover off the ball, it would go like, hmm. But when when our friend Parker hit the ball, it was like, hmm, 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 <laughs> like he just made it home, you know. So I, I I didn't hit that point, you know, in that second sermon in Ephesians. I was like 2015, and but then the third time I hit it, maybe 2018, 2019, I'm like, this is ridiculous, you know. I'm afraid of ghosts. I need to listen to God and just preach my heart out. And Polly left that that third sermon in Ephesians 5, she's like, wow, you really gave me something to think about. Hmm. So um, there is no question whether it's just in my imagination, which is still, you know, these, these, are, these aren't just invisible enemies. It is mm-hmm. a temptation mm-hmm. to sin. Um, I'm creating windmills in my own mind. 
rather than listening to the Holy Spirit. So it is a temptation in the church because it's a temptation for pastors to create enemies that don't exist. You know, the, the godly women of our church have not asked me to pull punches, and yet I do. Hmm. Um, but having said that, I know enough about the lives of the different uh, women, married and unmarried in our church, to know that there are things that I could say that would tick them off. And I have to decide, um, you know, what is what is a manageable amount of tickness? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, there's uh, a, a, a father should not exasperate his children, which means don't correct everything all at once to such a degree that the child becomes discouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my mentor, uh, another Tim, told me once, he says, Phil, we know that you love us. Show us that you love us when you're preaching, which, which means smile. Uh, don't take yourself so seriously. And this is a serious matter, submission to your husband. So um, no need to make it worse by, by being, you know, a right. jerk about it. Right. Tell jokes about hooters is basically what... Okay, so there you go. <laughs> if you didn't listen to the sermon, you now definitely want to listen to there the you sermon. Go. That's all we'll say about that. Go listen to the sermon. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, just, but I, I do think it's that, a problem in the church. And and I, I know a little bit about your marriage and a little bit about what you're working on in your marriage. I know a little bit about the other ruling elders' marriages and what they're working on. Um. After the service, Rick and Carol thanked me for the message, and uh, her comment was, uh, I said, you know, I mentioned Carol at the, at the mm-hmm. you know, and I got two for one there because I had in mind both Carol Finnegan and Carol Springer, and uh, as Sarah's in our church that mm-hmm. are working hard, and she just smiled from ear to ear as she does, and she says, this man makes submission easy, mm-hmm. and Rick just bashfully turned away as he often does. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I, I even know in that great exemplary marriage of more than 50 years, I know where they struggle too a little bit. Mm-hmm. And how do you lovingly help someone who's really doing a good job? You know, Allie is doing a good job. She really is. But I want her to take the next step. Mm-hmm. And she can't take 10 steps at once, but she needs to take the next step. So how hard do I push? And... Um, and the pulpit is, is, is a strange beast because I can get away with saying things there that I can't get away with saying to someone's face. Mm-hmm. And yet Richard Baxter says, I need to say the same thing to her face as I would say from the pulpit. Mm. That's loving. Um, maybe not with a microphone in my mouth, you know, and right. not with a big wooden thing between me. You know, it, it'd be weird to set up a <laughs> pulpit and a microphone and, yeah. and, you know, with Allie sitting four feet across from me. You know, so there is a different tone. There's a different choice of words. There's a different tempo. Um, and, and a pastor should take advantage to say hard things to a church and from the pulpit that he might not be able to get away with and saying, you know, across the, the, the table of a diner or on the couch in somebody's living room. Yep. Or at the foyer afterwards. Um, you know, you angered me in that sermon, Pastor. Well, tell me about it. What, what did you hear? So, um, 
thoughts on that? As always, I appreciate you sharing your insight. That's why I asked the questions, because I find it uh, refreshing to hear. It helps me to know how to pray for you. Um, and I can see that, I mean, uh, I'm thankful and honored that I get the opportunity once a year generally to exhort the church, and I've only done a handful mm -hmm. at this point. And I, I mean... <clears throat> Preaching Job 1 comes with a great amount of anxiety for me, you know, sure. let alone a passage like this, which isn't just helping people understand who Job was and why right. it's in the Bible. So, um, so I, I very much, um, I can't relate, but I kind of mm -hmm. can, and like, I know, I know at least for me, some of that anxiety and, and this isn't just having a conversation and this isn't giving a TED talk. You know, this is preaching the word of God to his people and to people who might not be in his church at this point, but he wants them to be, Right. you know? Um, and let's not forget the hardest person to preach to, my wife mm. and my daughters and my sons who have seen me uh, make submission very, very difficult hmm. for my wife, if not downright impossible. And so the greatest fear in, in preaching this text really is um, hmm. not Polly's approval in, in the wrong sense, but will my wife, who's a member of the church that I pastor, be able to connect the gospel dots with what I'm saying and um, and and that actually came out in the message as well. I I think, and that was intentional. Mm. You know, not I'm throwing bones, but I'm uh, I do. Uh, I, I'm told that uh, sometimes musicians, when they used to record albums, you know what an album is. It's I'm a, not that old, not that young. Oh, okay. So it's it's a yeah. it's a concrete collection of songs which say something together more than the individual songs on a playlist, say, right. kind of atomized. <laughs> and, and multiple albums will leave breadcrumbs for the most loyal followers, particularly in the liner notes and in the words. And like you, you, there's, a, there's a story for the deep fan. Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, yeah, he, he mentioned, you know, Bulgaria in his first album, and here it comes out in the third album. Or whatever ridiculous example but you know what I'm saying and so I will drop little breadcrumbs for my family here and there and um, letting them know that I know it's hard to listen to husband father as preacher every single week and I appreciate mm. what they do mm. and so you know the Henry family discussion about the sermon is is kind of always on another level uh, including not discussing it because no one liked it <laughs> and no one and everybody knows that I don't want to hear that they didn't like it. <laughs> but there's plenty of discussions where it is, I didn't like that sermon. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, tell me why hmm. uh, I, I can take it. Because if, you know, if you don't tell me, nobody's going to tell me that the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> 
But uh, to that point, Polly, Polly liked the sermon. Mm -hmm. She thought that it was, it was well done. She appreciated particularly the point on flexibility, which is something in particular that she and I have struggled with. You know, submission and headship is not a checklist that you can uh, just get your VBS gold star having done it, like right. you memorized, uh, you know, the, the verse for the day. And I think too often she and I have gone about our parenting and our marriage in a cookie-cutter fashion, assuming that if we just do what the Bible says, it will work. Mm. And it doesn't. It doesn't work that way for lots of reasons. And then, interestingly, my daughter also liked the sermon, but didn't find it particularly controversial. And that could be one of two things. Either I wasn't I didn't turn up the heat enough because I did intend it to be difficult, um, but not too difficult. But also, maybe she's grown up. We've talked about these things before, and she and I have worked through countless debates and discussions, and she definitely doesn't agree with me on everything on these things and has her own mind and her own opinions as a young Christian woman who's intelligent and well-trained and well-learned and hammering out her views, she's becoming an individual, which is awesome to watch, but it's, you know, um, it doesn't, it, it definitely means she, she turns out to be someone different than me. Hmm. So she found it kind of uncontroversial, I guess, and I guess I would put it to you, did you find it controversial, or do you feel like I was stepping on toes, or, or um, could have turned up the heat more, or... <coughs> um. I, I truly think that in this sermon, Phil, in my opinion, and I wasn't the primary audience, obviously. Um, I mean, I was, yeah, the men, I was the audience, the but men you were know what I mean. listening in, in a way, um, too. And the... it was still helpful. It wasn't like, you know, that part of the scripture doesn't apply to me at all, but um, you weren't preaching to me specifically. You'll, you'll get your turn, Tim. I know, I know. <laughs> and then we'll talk about it. Um, but I, I really thought that you threaded the needle, in my opinion, pretty, pretty well. Um, meaning, I don't think you chickened out and avoided the hard parts of, of what Peter is saying. At the same time, I don't think you whacked people over the head. I think you took an extremely pastoral gracious yet firm approach to what the text is mm -hmm. saying mm -hmm. and what God is calling us to in our marriages and what he's calling women to specifically his wives. And, um, yeah, I, I thought I, I mentioned this to you earlier. I, I thought it was real neat and tidy. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't overrun with, you know, fear or emotion, or it was, this is what the text says. I don't need to slam it down your throats. The Holy yeah. Spirit's going to work. Yeah. I'm not going to hide behind something else or pretend like it doesn't say something that might be hard for you to hear. Here it is, you know, yeah. and I think you did a really great job, um, as you usually do, Phil, but in this, in a difficult text, you did a really great job of allowing Peter 
to speak for Peter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of jumping into that a little bit more, and you mentioned Sarah's name already in our, in our recording here, but even going so far as to using a main example, I mean, that was the main example of your whole sermon. I mean, you gave a couple anecdotes here and there, the Hooters story, right? <laughs> but, but um, you know, in your second point about flexibility, which I think was probably the, I don't want to say the most important point, but it was kind of the linchpin and the hardest one, yeah. you know, to wrap your head around, to, to really engage with and be challenged by. Your example was literally Peter's example. You know, it wasn't like, oh, Phil came up with this great, really, really smart way to explain this. It was the Bible literally holds out to us the example that we should be looking to. And I confess to you that I had never really thought about that example when reading 1 Peter 3. Like, I read it and I go, oh, yeah, Sarah. And then I just move on, you know, and I get to the men, the husband's Mm -hmm. part. Um, so I really appreciated that. I think it was, um, helpful in two ways. One, the, the Bible, um, is sufficient for itself, right? So it doesn't require Phil or Tim or any other person to come and like add to it, to make it understandable, to make it applicable, and in this case, it's like legitimately pra- pragmatic in in Peter giving the church then and giving the church now this mm-hmm. this way to understand what he's saying. Um, and it could have been easy to try to take a 21st century relatable idea or story or movie or show or book or news article or whatever and hold that up as the prime example and instead it's well you know why don't we hear what god's word has to say about this it's right here there's a whole batch of literature maybe fitting under the title real women of the bible mm. and i think the literature is designed to encourage the women of christ that these are not unattainable kind of these are not faith speaking of mount rushmore these are not faces etched in route mount rushmore these are regular women with regular struggles just kind of just like you and me Mm. and on the surface peter's mentioning of sarah has has a superficial resemblance to kind of putting her up on mount rushmore Mm -hmm. and so by doing the survey of sarah's life very brief though it was that i did i think it hopefully had the effect of saying uh, no, this is more like a real woman of the Bible thing than the, uh, you know, a face etched in granite, hmm. kind of, you know, 150 feet tall. S- Sarah's struggles, um, Sarah's witness, we'll put it this way, was a lot more rough around the edges than maybe you remembered. And don't let Peter's glancing reference to her in a virtuous manner detract from the substance of her witness, which is, it was a very difficult job that she had. Uh, Bible trivia point on the side, nowhere does Sarah call Abraham Lord in the Old Testament. Hmm. 
the closest we get is in uh, kind of a uh, Sarah mocking God, which is definitely not submitting to Abraham, in prayer to God or in a thought to herself in Genesis 18. Right. You want to read that verse? Yeah, I'm I think pulling it up. Verse 12. 12. Yeah, so this is... Um, I'll start in 9. They said to him, Abraham, that is, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And here's verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? (laughs) And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Right. So that's the only time so that we see it's, Sarah. It's basically like, uh, n- now that I am old and worn out, and Mr. Pasek too, like it's it's that. Like it's purely conventional. Yeah. There's nothing reverential about it. And it's in the context of sarcasm. Like she's making fun of the fact that Basically, Abraham's herself. sperm count is 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 nil. Yeah. She says it to herself. She doesn't call him Lord in any sort of. Yeah. Yes, Lord, would you like fries with that? <laughs> and so there's nothing about it that evokes obedience at all. In fact, she is being disobedient mm. when she's making these comments about her Lord. So the the Bible point for Bible nerds, and that's probably who's listening to the deeper cut anyway, so, or wannabes, is that Peter says that Sarah said something that she didn't say. So, yeah, I'm I'm putting you on the spot here, so what do you make of that, Mr. Ruling Elder? Uh, That's a great question. I'm, I'm just now realizing that he actually... I can't imagine that that is the reference that Peter had in mind. It can't be. Because his... He goes on to say she she wasn't afraid, but if anything, you, you'd be her children if you're not afraid and you do right. good. And Sarah well, is verse, not doing good and she is afraid. Verse 5 in First Peter 3 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves <laughs> exactly. by submitting to their own husbands. And that's the exact opposite of what Sarah is doing exactly. in Genesis 18, 12. So if she's not hoping in God, she's going... Are you kidding me? It can't God be the can't reference. God can't do this. It can't so that be can't reference. be the reference that um, that Peter had in mind. So I go back to my point. Nowhere yeah. in the in the Bible does Sarah say what Peter says that she said. Yeah. So where do we go with this? Well, I think we go where you went, which is look at Sarah's life. So it's okay. not looking for a reference per se to a verse somewhere in Genesis about Sarah saying, "Lord," blah 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 right. blah. But I think it's more uh, the heart attitude, the submission that she had to Abraham throughout her life. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good, mm-hmm. um, as you pointed out. Um, and I, I think that's where I think that's probably where Peter was going with it too, because certainly this I would imagine this audience that he's writing to, the exiled church, would have not. They're not going to go back and take out their Torah and look for the verse that he's mm-hmm. referring to. You know, they're going to go, okay, 
hold on, maybe I don't know enough about Sarah. Let mm-hmm. me go. What? Who's Sarah? Mm-hmm. You know, what? What? What was her life? What? Sure. What is this reference? Um, and I think we would be wise to do the same in that mm-hmm. regard, rather than pull out our study Bible or our reference Bible and look for the the passage that might be referenced there, or even our commentaries, because that was brought up in the commentary, right? That verse. So. In terms of like our doctrine of scripture, Peter can tell us that Sarah said something that isn't in the Old Testament per se. She may well have said it. So there may be another, he may be looking at another source. So that's, that's an interesting dynamic. Again, this, we're yeah. on the, the, the undoubtedly, kind of the, Sarah said a lot of things in her life that, aren't that in, are not recorded in, anywhere. In, exactly. So. So it could be that Peter has uh, inspired access to a source that we no longer have. So that's one option. The other option is, to your point, and I think the choice that I took, mm-hmm. which is probably, I think it's not only correct, but it's certainly, if there's some dispute, it's, it's a better option to take in preaching. Because the pulpit isn't a place to get into uh, deep structure debates about the doctrine of Scripture. That's more for the classroom or for the tap room, as I would like to say sometimes, kind of where our theology on tap debates and discussions that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, in what way does Sarah with her life say submissively to her husband, I, I will follow you as my Lord, right. i.e. as the head of my home? In what way does she struggle to say that? But we still see the kind of the sparks of inspiration, even in that struggle, which I think we see particularly with her, with this comment in the tent, where the Lord God, Yahweh, overhears Sarah's thoughts and rebukes her on the spot. And we get to see the sanctification of Sarah, which I pointed out in the message over the years where her heart is softened to believing the promises of God. And the sarcastic laughter of Genesis 18 turns into an overflowing laughter of joy in uh, Genesis 20. Um, I will make one note that in that passage in Genesis 18, so only God knows what Sarah laughed to herself and then the Lord, in verse 13, said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say? So he doesn't even approach her directly no, about it. No. He goes to Abraham. The, the covenant head. And then Sarah, in verse 15, denies it. Right. And says, I did not laugh. Like you can see her opening so, the curtain now. And for Abraham's she was afraid. Look, look of surprise on his face. He says, what are you doing in this meeting? <laughs> this is for the boys. <laughs> it's great. It's such so, a great story. It's such a great story. I'm glad Peter has rehabilitated it for us yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. And I'm really glad for the opportunity of our church to be reminded of the beautiful, complex texture of Scripture, that it's not simplistic. And neither can submission to me or to you, you know, your beautiful wife and mine, as they try to figure out life with us. It's not simplistic. It is right. textured and complex. And um, the best compliment my wife gave me about the sermon is she said, it came across, which isn't to say I was faking it, but she said, I could tell that this was a sermon preached by a man whose 
taken his lumps and learned over the years how to, how to be a good husband. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not exactly how she put it, but right. she said, I could tell that this is coming from a deep well of lessons learned. Yeah. And again, that wasn't said sarcastically, like, I can tell you're learning, young man. You know, more like, <laughs> as my partner, yeah. which, which she is, First Peter 3, 7, she's my partner. We've had to learn together to stop sinning in some very, very negative ways. And um, um, learn to live together in the complexity of... Uh, I, do you remember when I mentioned in the sermon, you know, I think I said this, uh, women, you have husbands that make this difficult, parents that make this difficult, sisters, aunts and uncles, grandparents that make this difficult, children that make this difficult, friends that make this difficult, churches that make this and a society that makes this difficult. Mm-hmm. We're all coming at this kind of fresh and green in some ways. We're like starting... If this is the bridge, you know, the run across the bridge, what is it? Uh, what does it call it in Philadelphia every year? We've got this. Oh, the um, the Broad Street. Broad run? Street, yeah. Yeah. So I'm in the, the the heat that starts like 25 minutes behind the start line, right? None of us are like seated and on the actual start line. Right. Those race horses that start up there. <laughs> Anybody that comes to our church is like 15 minutes behind the gun. Yeah. On this stuff. Yeah. And some people don't even know it's a race. Like they're just going downtown for a cup of coffee and they find out, wait a minute, I'm running in this race. So in terms of the, the nuance and threading the needle, I, I do not think our cultural moment calls for smacking people around who don't, smacking the women around. Yeah. Pardon me for the ill-fitted analogy. Yeah, yeah. But, uh uh, who, who, who don't agree with or struggle with submission. I, a, a younger Phil may have felt that, um, maybe in more of a kind of a cage stage of Reformed theology, which for me lasted an especially long time. <laughs> it's hard to pick that lock and get out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, I think I called it, it seemed very pastoral, the, that, yeah. that, and, that's that's my way of saying I think the same thing that Polly yeah. was saying to you. Um, and ironically, maybe not ironically, the, the Hooter story was a tipping of the hat to kind of flexible missiology, mm-hmm. missiological principles I've had to learn as a church planter, now pastor. But I think the overall presentation of the message was intended to be missiological for this group of Christians in the church house at 300 University Boulevard. I was attempting to model flexible missiology Mm. for these people Mm. who have entrusted their pastoral care to me. And in a way they're saying, uh, doctor, please don't make it hurt too hard because we have feet of clay and hearts of glass. And so um, maybe if I was a guest preacher, I could have turned up the heat a little more and, you know, gotten some more mic drop moments. But I'm, I'm the shepherd of the flock, and, and it's intended to, you know, it's 
unless the Lord calls elsewhere, this is this is a lifetime appointment, one that I take seriously. So there's a, there's a lot of homiletical theory yeah. bundled up in that, some yeah. pastoral care theory bundled up in that. Um, and to your point earlier, to do that week after week is a challenge. I mean, I'll also note, and this hopefully goes without saying to those listening, our church is not just Sunday morning worship, right? So um, there are times and have been times, and I'm sure will be times, that we as elders in the church are going to need to push a little bit harder when it comes to these type of struggles, you know, um, for particular circumstances or, mm -hmm. or issues or crises or whatever. And so that is, um, that is my job and the job of the other ruling elders in support of you as brothers on the board is y you don't, church discipline and i don't mean that in the negative light that, that our culture takes the word discipline in a holistic sense church discipline is not coming from the pulpit it is in a way i mean certainly mm -hmm. teaching the church is coming from the pulpit but it is not solely the job of the pastor or the teaching elder mm -hmm. on sunday to discipline the <clears throat> church and what we believe and how we should live that out that's the job of the church as a whole on every day of the week, in the homes, in the workplace, in family, in small groups, and, you know, all mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So um, I guess what I'm saying is behind that sermon comes the church. Right. With its officers and with its leaders and with every single person mm -hmm. in the church. And, and that includes women, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. And maybe even particularly includes women, even more important than the officers themselves, though we are an elder-led church, which is an office that's restricted to men. But I saw two of the women after the service that I mentioned as exemplars talking about the sermon mm -hmm. afterwards and essentially kind of, in the best sense, conspiring together about how they can continue to carry on their Titus II role. And if our listeners don't know Titus II, it, it encourages um, women's ministry to be essentially uh, matriarchal or maternal. Older women as spiritual mothers teaching the younger women about how they should carry themselves out in their marriages and in their homes as wives and moms. Mm. That's the heart of women's ministry, Titus II, and that's been the tradition in the PCA, and it's taken some hits over in recent years as there's been kind of debates about, you know, should the women of our church be on national committees and national conversations and these kinds of things. Um, I don't, uh, as an, a quick aside, I don't have a basic problem with that per se, any more than I would have a problem with Allie or Polly being part of a session-level conversation on certain topics where we needed a, a woman's point of view. I fear, though, when you amplify that to the national stage, it does tend to bleed off 
energy and resources from that essentially maternal emphasis of the scriptures for mm-hmm. women's ministry. Um, I don't know how to make that statement in a, in a microphone uh, at General Assembly, yeah. but I can, I can tell you that yeah. as, a, as a fellow ruling elder. And um, so it was encouraging to me to get back to the sermon to see two of the mothers of the church, grandmothers, truly, mm-hmm. of the church, mm-hmm. conspiring in the Holy Spirit about how they could continue to apply what they heard. I couldn't ask for any more validation, not that I need personal validation, right. but affirmation maybe is a mm. better term, that that I gave them the raw material with which to work in order to continue, like you said, to help the church advance kind of right. behind the, the vanguard of the, the pulpit is a, it's a, it's a, the prow of the ship. That's right. Herman Melville. But then <laughs> we have, you know, the whole army of Christ following behind it, advancing the kingdom in ordinary ways, including the fire pit last night and, and those quiet conversations that happen mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, spending time on hair, a, just a couple of quick questions or comments. I had mentioned that the, the Roman woman kind of the, the aristocratic, kind of upper echelon Roman woman would, would sit for eight to 12 hours for a braiding session. And that's certainly not what most women do. But then I was reminded when I got home, uh, my wife and family and I watched Chris Rock's uh, documentary on African African American women's hair back in 2012 or 2013. And um, so those hair sessions take quite a bit of time as well. So I thought that was an interesting, just culturally, you know, the examples that I give, and even the examples that some of the commentaries give, Mm -hmm. are somewhat culturally conditioned. Mm -hmm. And if an African-American man wrote a commentary on 1 Peter, he might have some different perspectives there that that could be helpful. I certainly didn't mean to suggest and don't think that a black woman who has an 8 to 12 hour session of braiding is the same sort of violation as a Roman woman with an 8 to 12 hour session of braiding. I think that there's actually some difference there. But it is an interesting observation. Yeah. And I think it's important, just again homiletically, that I'm aware of my biases and uh, my blind spots. And I think it's cool that my wife pointed that out to me mm-hmm. when I got home. I also think, it, and comment on either one of these things, um, I, I happen to have been driving through town. We live in a college town where I saw some college girls that certainly did not spend 8 to 12 hours on their outfit. Mm. And I'll leave the listener to imagine exactly what I have in mind. Um, I wish they would have spent a little more time on their outfit, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so I think you, you can see excess in both directions. Mm-hmm. That Peter is saying that a woman's beauty is important and part of her unique calling as a creature made in the image of God. Uh, when, you, when you take a girl to prom, you've got like three choices of what you're going to wear. 
and she's got 300 choices of what she's going to wear. And I think that's okay. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't feel mistreated by that inequity. So I think some time spent on a woman's outfit or hair or nails or makeup or whatever, jewelry, etc. I think that's part of God's design, and I'm not quite sure uh, why or, or how to explain it. It's more one of those things that I, I suspect is... Uh, kind of true in, in the bones of the thing. Mm. Um, and so we live in a casual, throwaway society where too many women are walking around in flip-flops, perhaps, and not spending enough time on their outfits. Of course, when I saw that woman, that college student, I thought of my mother, who 65 years ago, 50, 60 years ago in college, would have looked like essentially a, a princess or a queen by today's standards. And that was how every one of her friends looked. So, you know, I know my mom has struggled with how casual things are, mm. altogether too casual. Mm. So too much time, not enough time. Thoughts about women's beauty, Tim. <laughs> Impart some oh, wisdom. Impart oh, some wisdom, brother. I think... Um... I think this is not a uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think this is a priority thing for Peter. So I, my mind goes to imperishable, right? And you mentioned this, that, that Peter uses that word or that idea like seven times, you, I think you said, yeah. in, the, in the letter. But It's quite a few, whatever the number where, is. Where is the priority, Right. Where is your attention? Where is your effort and your energy going first and foremost? Is it the external beautification of yourself or is it the hidden, as, as Peter would put it, the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty um, of a gentle and quiet spirit? And so I don't think that there's anything wrong with... Um, taking care of yourself and that includes your appearance you know i mean god created eve and brought her to adam and he went this at last is bone of my bone of flesh my like there was a there was a that is not just um historical narrative there that's like poetic language right if i'm correct it is so and and the uh, the the black preacher I heard once says, when Adam saw Eve, he's he called her woman because he said, "Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. man!" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and maybe there's something to. I that. think there's something to that. So that's just to say that that I don't think that's a that's not a bad thing. You know, like that is that is God's good creation, um, and and how He made us. At the same time. We're, we're post-fall here, and so we muck everything up. We really do. And, and so that's why we need God's instruction through Peter that you're, you're beautiful in an imperishable way. And that is the most important thing. 
And my, my, my girl said she was glad I started there on the character, character. piece because yeah. she said, and I think this was her exact words, that can never be stressed enough. So you're hearing now from a high school girl who genuinely wants to follow Jesus in her life saying, I need to constantly be reminded that character is what counts, which tells me she's swimming in a world of perishable priorities mm -hmm. and she struggles to keep them at bay. Mm -hmm. So that to me was really, really helpful feedback mm -hmm. and uh, deserves to be, we got to double down in our ministry to our wives and our girls and reminding them that character is what counts. So you can, in the sea of, you know, in the, in the din of voices, that says character isn't what counts. I appreciate that being your first point because you can't get to the other two without that, right? You, you can't really talk about submission or flexibility or all those things if you're not first like grounding that in a godly character and who God has made you to be and who he's told you you are in Christ, because otherwise you're like, you're just, I think of Ecclesiastes, you're just chasing after the wind, basically, mm. at that point. True. Right. Because you can kind of, you could take that second point, you can make it be whatever you want it to be. And that's where sin comes into the picture. And, and, um, you know, you, you made, I think, a, a really great point where, um, there, there are limits to these things, right? So submission doesn't mean at all costs at all times, right? But you can't accurately measure that or make determinations if you don't understand mm -hmm. the foundation of like, well, upholding the word of God matters and what God says matters and who he says I am in Christ matters. So if I don't forget that, then I'm much. I'm going to be much more likely to not stand up and submit sure. when I shouldn't. When flexibility is called for, I'm going to use the wrong metric. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a much more astute way of putting it than where I was going. But yes, exa that's exactly what I was trying yeah, to say. Yeah. No, it's a great point. And not intended, like it wasn't a conscious thought, but I can see that God really. Uh, took care of that aspect of the message. My, the, the order is, homiletically, the order is often the first thing to go and the last thing to get changed mm -hmm. because order really does matter. And if you're a young preacher listening, the order does matter how you approach the text. And again, my daughter noticed even though the character doesn't really show up until verse 3 of the passage. She was glad that I started there. So even she observed that I went out of order of the verses, mm -hmm. in, but she felt like I chose the right first point. And I think I've said it here before, but there's kind of a, a way of preaching exegetically that is woodenly obedient to the sequence of verses in the Scripture. But that makes no more sense as kind of a, a hard and fast rule than following the Greek word order, which is different in English. Mm -hmm. now, they put the verb last or first, and if you talk in Greek, if you've ever read a 
an interlinear Bible, it's almost unreadable because the Greek language orders things differently and thoughts don't come always sequentially in terms of their best priority. Right. So a good exegetical preacher is going to think about this, the, the spirit-given priority of the text, A, as the author intended it, and then B, as, as this church needs to hear it. And without meaning to, per se, like although I'm aware of this, I think God helped, helped me quite a bit in that because I originally think I had five or six points in a completely different order. <laughs> and um, in fact, Tim, sometimes I will make a woodenly sequential order, like what is the order that's presented by the verses? And I'll look at that thing, and I'm like, There's, that's not edible. <laughs> you know, like that, that raw material needs to be chopped up and mixed with breadcrumbs and baked for a little bit mm. in order for us to make a meal out of it. That's why preaching's important. <clears throat> you know, I sit and we, we do this as often, <laughs> as often as we do it, you know, almost weekly. And I'm so often struck at, you know, I don't know how many times in my life I've read First Peter 3, more than a handful. I would say 90% of the things that we've talked about today or that you preached about on Sunday were things that I thought deeply about through any of my readings of that, you know. And mm. even if I had done a Bible study, which I can't recall ever specifically doing a Bible study on that passage, it still wouldn't be the same. Mm. So... You know, I'm thinking about the Sarah example that Peter uses and some of these things we're talking about. That's not to say, don't pick up your Bible and read the Word of God. God works through His Spirit, through His Word. So it's, you know, that's never a bad thing. It's not that if you never heard a sermon preached, you couldn't be saved or you couldn't be a Christian or something like that. But there is, that is the means of God's grace, is the preaching of His Word. Mm Mm-hmm. It is different. It's different than yeah. anything, any other way of consuming his word. And it's important. You know? he, even the dialogue of a classroom, and I mentioned this a, a few minutes ago about some things are better for the, in a classroom context, gives a weight or a priority to what you think or what questions you have. And I remember some of my old school seminary professors allowed no questions. Did you ever have one of those? <laughs> Not I mean, a seminary professor, but, but yeah. But I mean a professor because yeah, yeah. you went to college. Yeah. So Absolutely. some of those old guys were like, no questions. Mm-hmm. I have office hours, but I've got something to say and I'm not going to stop until I've done. And um, something about that, which makes me listen to a well-developed series of thoughts presented in in, in terms of preaching a, a forceful way uh, a bold hopefully there's boldness there that's just there's nothing that can substitute for it and there's mm-hmm. something that resonates what I what I call monologue deep within our core identity hearing someone say something to me 
from beginning to middle to end. So that's where we do need to, I think preachers do need to study rhetoric. They need to study, you know, Aristotle on down to, uh, you mentioned TED Talks. I mean, it's not a TED Talk, but they're good at presenting material in 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a sermon, Mm -hmm. but there's things that a preacher can glean from that. So uh, I think we need to be told what God thinks and a preacher needs to work hard at figuring that out. And for me, that started, can I say, 30 years ago when I read my first book on First Peter 3. And I read in this book by a, a godly woman author, her struggle with women that she counseled being told that First Peter 3 sanctions abuse, which it doesn't uh, by any means. And I think I made that clear in the message. But um, that doesn't mean it's an easy question. But um, I started grinding on First Peter 3 and wrestling with it 30 years ago, Tim. Mm. So this, this sermon has been, in, in some <laughs> ways, been gestating in my mind for 30 years. That's amazing. That was literally, it was um, maybe not quite 30, so 25 years ago, 1998. Mm-hmm. 99 and then of course a year ago I did a, an in-depth study of First Peter and I knew that this was going to be one of the three hardest texts in the book maybe the hardest text in the book and so um, and as it uh, we can wrap up here as a kind of a hint for next week on the husband's side I've been in a six-month journey on uh, uh, since the, really the beginning, end of last year, of challenging myself to be the kind of man that First Peter three seven is calling me to be, with mixed results, I will mm-hmm. add. But uh, I know that you know authenticity in preaching is important, and so. I'm coming next week with a whole bag of experience, recent experience of the difficulty in implementing First Peter three seven. Look forward to it. <clears throat> I think, I mean, speaking from someone who gets to hear you preach almost weekly, I feel that is always the case with you, Phil. I I never feel like you're distant in that pulpit. Although you are behind a pulpit. Yeah. But I've always very much appreciated that. I know that our church feels the same way because I hear it. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time with people in our church and everyone yeah, always kind of <clears throat> praises you behind your back about that. Um, that you're, um, you're not a lecturer, someone who didn't take that to heart mm-hmm. and and you've said it I mean, you've confessed this recently in a sermon you know yeah. like i i'm the first hearer of the sermon right you know? it's preached to me right. first and then it, then then you guys and then you guys hear it but that shows um and our church is better for it because of that not that you're looking for for kudos but uh, i would hope that any aspiring pastor who might be listening would take that to heart as they figure out their ministry and 
work on their craft of preaching. Um, because I've, I've listened to a lot of sermons, maybe not live, maybe they're recordings or whatever, and you could tell right away that this is someone who might be a scholar, maybe they're an academic, but that's kind of where their authority is coming from, not because they've been recently impacted by or convicted of the text that they're preaching on or, you know, that they have a heart for the people that they're preaching to. And they're going, I'm right. I'm right. I know I'm standing on this side of the pulpit, but I'm right there with you as you're hearing this. So even on a sermon that's directed to the women in our church, you know, it's still, I guarantee if you talk to the women in our church, they would say, no, Phil, that you're not a woman in the church, but we know that, you know, your love for us came through in that sermon, and, and it wasn't something that, um, while difficult, certainly, because I think preaching God's Word is, is always difficult. It's a challenge, but I don't think it was uh, something that was like, it wasn't awkward for you to preach that sermon. You know what I mean? where maybe some other people would struggle with that. So, And P Peter, of course, tees it up because I, I don't think he is providing a rigid, legalistic, mm. oppressive paradigm for mm -hmm. our sisters in Christ. I think he's, it's the opposite, uh, which is a unique contribution that Peter makes to this discussion that I think is often overlooked. And that was the real crystalline insight that God gave me in preparing for this message that mm. was uh, surprising. Um, he establishes the norm. There's no question about it, but he understands that its, its expression is uh, not easy and complex, but definitely worth pursuing. Mm. I did recall one other sermon, Tim, that I preached on this topic that got a little more heat which was my series on creation a couple years back when I preached on Genesis 2 and sort of the, the establishment of this cosmic order, which I've since then referred to many times. But the Lord was leading me in that s series of 10, 12 messages to say, we need to set some a, a, a groundwork in this church or some framework because mm -hmm. I'm concerned that Culturally, things are getting away from us, and I'm not even sure with even within our fellowship, we've got clarity on some basic fundamentals. Um, and that definitely generated a lot more heat. But uh, we're not talking about that message no. today. Maybe maybe we could do, uh, I don't know when this would ever happen, Phil, but, you know, another podcast or some small season of this one where you can go back and look at some of those older mm -hmm. messages and talk about them because we have them all we do that would be a fun uh fun thing to do pick and choose some pick 10 five, five. five. We can pick five. <laughs> yeah but yeah that might be a fun thing to do at some point in the future from the archives yeah <laughs> well uh henry bullinger published uh, a book called decades and he's a a Swiss reformer, and his decades were 10 sermons from each of the five decades of his preaching ministry. 
and it was widely distributed in the 16th century, hmm. uh, or maybe early 17th century. I can't remember. Probably late 16th century. That's some confidence. That's that's something else. I read that. Wow. And and it's like here, you need to read this book. <laughs> Ten, five, fifty sermons, decades. Uh, not a very creative title, but then again, books were of a different sort, I think, in the 16th century. Yeah, I'm guessing that there was not a huge marketing campaign no. behind that one. But we could pick five from the last few years of Mercy Hill and talk about them. That might be fun. Yeah, yeah. When we have some free time. Sure. <laughs> I know we've already gone long today. I don't even know exactly how long, but it feels like we've gone long. Um, but it's been a wonderful conversation. And I look forward to the other side of the coin next week. Uh, I will confess in advance that I will be hearing the sermon on recording because I have to teach uh, children's class next week. Allie was in nursery this Sunday, and I'm so we well, should have how, how appropriate. somehow. You, you can preach to so, each other then. Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but in God's providence. But I will. I'm looking forward to, to hearing it and picking up our conversation next week. Um, any parting thoughts from you today? No, thanks for, for, to you and for all of our listeners for tuning in and giving us this great opportunity to dive a little deeper into God's Word. I, I think it's yes. very meaningful and, and very helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely for, for me. I hope it's helpful for all of our listeners we've gotten some good feedback um even as recently as last night yeah and so um you know we're always open to critique and suggestions and you know if, if there's something that you'd like us to talk about or change to the format or you have some expertise we would love to hear from you because <laughs> we're still kind of uh just rolling along here doing the best we can but uh we do hope that it is uh, helpful to you, um, those in our church and those who might be listening outside of Mercy Hill. And, uh, and again, it's been just another blessed hour, however long for me. So thanks, Phil, for your time today. Amen. Thank you too, Tim. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week. I hope you have a good rest of your day and your week. God bless.